comes the sun, little darling. Here comes the sun. I say it's alright. Hello, this is Sharon Khan. I'm a serial entrepreneur, CEO of Pepperlane, mother of two daughters, and the host of Step Out of Line. I started this podcast for one simple reason. I'm curious about what made people take turns in their life, when and why they took risks, what inspired them to step out of line and write their own stories, even though the outcome was not clear. I'm looking to interview people that have the courage not to follow a straight line and to follow their own truth. Step Out of Line was born after I listened to Alex Burstein that shared this powerful story during her Amy's acceptance speech. Listen to it. My grandmother turned to a guard. She was in line to be shot into a pit, and she said, what happens if I step out of line? And he said, I don't have the heart to shoot you, but somebody will. And she stepped out of line. And for that, I am here. And for that, my children are here. So step out of line, ladies. Step out of line. Sometimes it's as much about the people in your life as it is about the vision or the idea or the opportunity, right? Heather Jean McNeil stepped out of line in every single aspect of her life. Heather Jean is a serial entrepreneur that is passionate about closing the gender gap in entrepreneurship. She started her own company, Proxy Apparel, where she built global partnerships with women cooperatives to produce fashion-forward sustainable apparel. She took a turn and she dove into the world of academia, co-founding the Babson Wynn Women Innovating Now Lab. Next stop, she moved on from academia to motherhood. She's a dedicated mother of two-year-old twins boys, and she is expecting her third child soon, while she is pursuing her PhD at the University of Massachusetts. Stepping out of line again, she and her husband bought a house with her best friend from college, and they are planning to live together communally, yes, with a shared kitchen. They even planning a space for more families to join. I am delighted to welcome my dear friend, Heather Jean, to the show. Welcome, Heather Jean. Hi, Sharon. Nice to have you. So I want to start from the beginning, before we jump into the present. What was it like to grow in your family? And what was your religious background, if there was any? In some ways, I was really fortunate to have two families. I was born to a 16-year-old fierce mother, and when I was about 12 years old, I left my family and went and lived on an intentional farming community in New Hampshire. I wouldn't say there was really a religious affiliation, except probably some paganism and orientation <laughs> toward the Quakers. And so had this amazing experience of sort of growing up with a very different background and then getting to experience kind of living with some crazy hippies in New Hampshire and really being exposed to a lot of different kinds of people that would come and live on the farm. So when I say community, I really mean there were a few different families living on the farm at the time, and then we would have interns and people that would cycle through during the growing season. So I had lots of different mentors during my adolescence, which I think was really impactful on me. And this is really, you think, shaped who you are today? I think so, yeah. I feel really grateful to have had those years on the farm in terms of developing my own values, but also being exposed to lots of different kinds of 
lifestyles and thinking and personalities for sure. And then also really recognizing for me, the value of living in community and what happens in terms of how you're able to accomplish much more than when you're on your own. When I'm looking on where you took things, it's not exactly a straight line, is it? Yeah, I would say not. <laughs> I mean, did you plan for that? Is there a desire to stay away from following a straight line? Where do you I see think that? So, yeah, you know, as I was listening to the intro, I think it's interesting because for me, I think stepping out of line really means stepping in line or being in line with yourself, being willing to follow the things that you really care about, that you dream about, that you want to accomplish without being fully influenced or sucked in by the things you think you should be doing. I'm not sure where I got that from. I feel fortunate. I think actually thinking back to my 12-year-old self, there was part of me that knew that I was seeking a different experience at that point. And so I was able to seek out a different reality. And then from there was able to just really stay in touch with my gut. Did you plan your life? I mean, did you? It's kind of a crazy ride. I mean, you grew up in a farm, in a communal model, right? Mm -hmm. Where if I think about it, our ancestors used to live like that. We don't see that model anymore. You jumped into the entrepreneurship world, which is a little bit rigid for women. And then you moved to academia that has certain very clear rules. And mm -hmm. then you jumped out to motherhood, which is a crazy ride. And you're back now to the communal model. I mean, did you plan all of that? No planning. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that should be the first rule. I think saying follow your dreams is really cliche, but what I do think is following your ideas. I mean, for me, when I have a spark or an idea of something new that I might want to do that's completely outlandish and yeah. completely off track, I don't ignore it. And that's how your first startup was born? It was interesting. So I joined the Peace Corps, actually. So I was living in Honduras and during that time was meant to be working with farmers. But for those of you that know sort of the culture in Central America, there was a lot of machismo. So I wasn't having a great luck working with the coffee farmers. They would hang out with me, but I wasn't really able to organize as much. So I was really drawn to working with women in my local community. I lived in a very rural area. Yeah. And so the primary project that I did was to work with a group of women to start a chicken cooperative. So raising ah, chickens. Yes. It was probably the funnest experience of my life, actually. Uh -huh. And at that point, was really inspired by this idea of creating infrastructure or opportunities for women to create economic gain for themselves. And so I had never thought about business. At that point, I had sort of studied and was really passionate about agriculture, but decided that entrepreneurship would be something really interesting to pursue. And so went on to business school and there kind of incubated this concept of working with cooperatives to produce clothing. And so it was scary. I knew nothing about fashion at the time. Yeah. It was controversial, I think, for people in my life that I was going to business school. They really didn't identify with right. me, with sort of the capitalistic system. So you finished, and you tell me if I jump too fast, but, you know, full disclosure, you are my co-founder of The Woman Innovating Now at Babson College. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about what really attracted you to do that. And again, how did you fit into the academia world, coming from the entrepreneurship world? From How did that work? Yeah, I mean, those worlds, again, very different, very different environments. And I think 
particularly being entrepreneurial in academia is, has its own challenge, right? right? But what was so inspiring about the Wind Lab was that working with you, Sharon, and Susan Duffy, working with three women that I think had had different experiences as entrepreneurs themselves, we were able to create a reality that we wish we had had when we were starting our businesses. I did proxy for three years. I was in the trenches with it, tried to raise money, sort of went through all of the glory and failure of what it means to start a business. And I think we collectively had this vision to create an environment and a community for women to figure it out together and learn the rules of the game, but also figure out how they want to apply it for themselves. To me, WinLab really was our entrepreneurial endeavor, yeah, but yeah. we were doing it with a different rule set, right? Right, We were right. doing it inside of an academic environment. Inside and also I think we had a little bit of a different model of what an accelerator should look like. It's not about real estate. It's more about trying to experiment with ideas. And what I loved about what we created was that we really took candidates to the lab based on their personality, not necessarily based on their idea. Because we know ideas can go in and go out. And because we planned that for a year, we let them experiment with ideas. But we wanted to test their personality. Do they have the perseverance? Do they have the passion? Are they going to be kind to each other? Can we build a model where women are going to help each other? But you're the one that drove it. So that was really huge. And it's still on. It's still going on. Very it's successful. It's still going. Yeah. I think we're in our in our sixth cohort now. And yeah. Yeah. It's taking on. on a life of its own, which yeah. I think is really incredible. Yeah. So from there, what's this thing with motherhood? I mean, this is just another stepping out of line. I mean, you had an idea and you decided to go for twins. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would say the biggest disruptor of all, quite frankly. I think you don't quite understand what motherhood is until you step into it. And I'm just really impressed by what it takes to raise kids. We had a really interesting journey. So we had a hard time conceiving. We spent three years kind of in the in vitro process. And I think it was at that moment that I knew I wanted to create a different life than kind of working a big job inside of an institution. Um, I really wanted to enjoy it. And And I remember you telling me that you have two twin boys. And I said, are you sure you have two boys? I I don't see you with two boys. (laughs) It took me a while to (laughs) get used to the idea. But, you know, I was thinking sometimes it's hard to step into the unknown and to do something completely different. But sometimes life will send you signs that you're on the right track, right? So literally the day... I delivered the boys, March 7th. I received a letter that I had been accepted into the PhD program um, that I'm in now. And so I was kind of like, maybe I'll go and do this PhD thing. You know, I was kind of wrestling with it. It actually did feel like a big decision. And so while you were pregnant with twins, you applied to the PhD program at University of Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Just explain to me, where was your head? Is it, this is really the hormones that got you really screwed (laughs) up? Or what are you not seeing that I see? I mean, you are doing it all. Can we do it all, Heather Jane? Where is this drive coming from? This morning, I'm not really sure because I didn't get a lot of sleep and I'm 28 weeks pregnant, but... Oh my God, we just (laughs) broke another news here on the podcast. Heather Jane is pregnant again. 
Yeah, the PhD is something I always had interest in. I really see it as something I'm doing for myself. It was really interesting. I had a um, family member pass away really suddenly who was young and sort of went through the grieving process. And he was only 40 years old. And I was thinking, wow, like when you have those moments of being sort of in touch with your mortality, you think like, well, what haven't I done or what? Yeah. What do I want to pursue or what's missing? And yeah. oddly enough for me, it was like, I would really like to get a doctorate. You know, I miss being in the classroom. I miss writing. And anyway, so that's what came up for me. And I thought it could be something interesting to try to do while parenting. A lot of people talk about that, right? I don't actually think they're the best combination, but in some ways it works. And so literally just had delivered the kids. First night was in the hospital yeah. bed, got the email. Yes. And I was like, well, that makes sense. You know, I just delivered twins. Yeah, like I can this do seems a, like it's a, aligning yeah. somehow. Yeah, and so yeah. at that point, decided to do that. And it has allowed me the flexibility, I think, to really be present for my kids. I think that's what drove the decision the most was, you know, for us, when Lab was a baby, we yeah. nurtured it, we grew it. It takes right. a lot. It I mean, takes you're a lot an entrepreneur. It yeah. is your third child. But, but, and, but I want to talk one second. I want to pause on motherhood. Mm. Because do you agree that is really something that change our gravity. Sometimes I joke about that, that society looks at this as in a condition. You mm. know, it's not exactly something that people would welcome as part of your career path, right? And when I'm looking on your why for me you're such a, a role model for stepping out of line is because you've done everything backwards. I mean, you started, you built your career, you pursue your academic credentials, you build a lab, and now you're stepping into motherhood to the uncertainty. Does it really change everything that you have to take care of others in a way that, I mean, I guess you cannot check them in and say, okay, I'm going to come back in two weeks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, honestly, and I think it was true for me that it, it really did change everything. And I'm going to say that with a caveat. I think parenthood, motherhood is such an identity shift. Right. It puts you in touch with life and death in a different way. Right. right. You get wired into these humans. You know, I remember the first night in the hospital, like <laughs> seeing both of the babies and being like, oh my God, what just happened? Like, yeah, what did I my do? My life will literally never be the same. Right. Which you don't understand what that is until no. you go through it. But with that said, I think for me, it's been such a, I almost want to say healing. And it's been a process that's really helped me evaluate how to invest my time. I'm so efficient. The brain actually undergoes lots of changes during right, pregnancy. Right. And I think that the part of the brain that feeds creativity is actually enhanced. I mean, there are a lot of things that happen through the mothering process that I think we haven't quite figured out how to embrace as a society. I think there are a lot of stereotypes that aren't true. And so for me, it's been a really cathartic experience. Is it also go back to your own childhood as being a daughter of a very, very young mom? Is Definitely. It, is there yeah. something there? Yeah, it's been really impactful on my relationship with my biological mother where we've become very, very close. I have such a yeah. appreciation for who she is. I mean, it's also great that she's a young grandma, so she can keep up with the boys. But the idea of thinking about her going through this experience at 16 and it's sort of yeah. really changing the course of her life. It's allowed me a lot of forgiveness, but deep, deep appreciation, I think, that I didn't know was possible with her. So mother of tweens and... I think you're pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> that looks real. So you're now in your third trimester? Yeah, we're having a girl. A princess? Yeah, yeah, which is, you know, not to over-celebrate the sex of the baby, but when you have twin boys, you might imagine that we were pretty thrilled that we would right. have some diversity going on in our house. Absolutely, especially that you are a champion of gender <laughs> equality. I can right, get that. Exactly. Yeah, this was a bonus baby. We didn't expect it. We didn't right. know actually that we were able to conceive naturally. And Isn't that interesting that I hear so many women that cannot conceive naturally and then they get the help they need and then they get pregnant naturally. Isn't that it is a phenomenon, and you hear about it, but you never expect it to happen to you. <laughs> right. And we had honestly, we had just settled into, you know, our, our kids, the boys are going to be two. So we had finally, I think, found a little bit of a flow with parenting. Right, right. Weren't expecting to have any more. So I actually see this baby as another element of stepping out of line. Oh, for sure. I mean, this is overwhelming just to ask you the question. <laughs> yeah. So is that something in you, Heather Jean? Are you afraid of be like everyone else? Is that what it is? Are you worrying about being boring? I think I'm drawn to living an unconventional life. Yeah. It's not that it drives my decision making. You know, I had somewhat of an unconventional childhood. I had the experience of living on the farm in New Hampshire and seeing how people could do things differently and break free from status quo. And so I think that really influenced my desire to do that. Mm -hmm. And it manifests in different ways. All the time. Yeah. All the time. So tell us about your vision for raising kids and and family, because you're going to do it in a very, or you're already doing it in a very unconventional way, which I think it's such a fresh model, especially in the East Coast, in the Boston area where we're sitting, and it's a little bit conservative model here. So I'm I'm excited to hear about that. Moving on from my farm experience, and then I also went to a very small, the college that I went to had 300 students in rural Vermont. And so again, it's run on a governance model, and so spent time during those four developmental years, also kind of living in community with people, made some of my closest friends, and always had a vision that I would replicate that in some way in my adult life. I don't think I quite realized how unconventional it was until I kind of joined the mainstream. Right. What is there in communities that we really uh, missing today? You know, we know that our ancestors live in communities. That was the model, right? They had roles and responsibilities, maybe, especially for women, it was really given by the patriarchy. But still, they knew what they had to do every day. They had a role, but they always had a community to rely on. And I think that in our modern life, especially as mothers and women, we don't have a community to rely on. So is this is where it comes from? Is it because we're lacking that? Or do you think it's just you? I mean, I think we're very individualistic in this country, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not like this everywhere in the world, right? I think right. it's kind of how we're raised. It's what's modeled for us. For me, I just find it so much more gratifying to have a community or a group of people that are sort of helping support what's going on in my life and vice versa. It's just much more fruitful. It makes it easier, quite frankly. So I married someone who is much more conventional than me and... Right. You know, I would pitch him these crazy ideas about living in an intentional community and he would kind of laugh about it, laugh it off. And then we had twins. And then he realized very soon after he was like, hmm, 
Okay. <laughs> it was actually my husband that found this house that we bought. So we now co-own this house with my best friend from college. It's a yeah. two-family. He grew up in a community setting, too, in, in his own way, locally in JP. And I think he sees the value of what it takes to raise kids and have your life and why not do it with the support of other people and vice versa. Wait, um, so describe us this model because that's fascinating. So you guys bought a house with your best friend. Yep. And do you share a kitchen? Do you have an area for get? What does it look like? Yeah. So and does she gets the kids from time? Does she? <laughs> no. I can't believe she still wants to live with us now that we have the third coming. Yeah. It's a work in progress. So we mm-hmm. bought this house. It needs to be renovated. So we're in the process of renovating the house. We're going to renovate the second and third floor of the house and all live together in that space. It's yeah. a six bedroom. So there's enough space, I think, to make it work. And then the first floor apartment, we're planning to also you know, use as a short-term rental, but have available for other friends and family to come. Potentially, if we find someone that wants to come and live in the space as well. We're very open to that. It's not like we're going to have a giant farm and raise our yeah. chickens together, but but I do think that we'll, you know, we plan to sort of have a, an intentional supportive environment to help each other run our lives. Tell me more about that. What do you mean by helping you to run your life? I mean, I understand it's going to be about helping with the kids for sure. Right. That sounds great. For all the mothers that are going to listen to this podcast, yeah. isn't that amazing? You're not going to look for babies. Call here. your best friends. Yes. Yeah. But it sounds to me that there's more into it. It sounds to me that you're tapping into what I feel that we're missing as um, women that are trying to do so much mm-hmm. is that there's some emotional support in this model. Do you agree? Absolutely. So is it like uh, a three therapist Well, I was just going to mention. Um, so my close friend, Lori, is, she's a psychiatrist. Ah, that's why. <laughs> so oh. we'll have a house psychiatrist. My husband's a lawyer. So we, we have a oh good God, team. You, you recover just in a doctor, and, uh, you know? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I mean, if you can think about it, I don't know. I think there's people that have grown up in big families. I mean, everyone brings something different to the table. And we also just live in this environment of being capacity starved, right? And yeah. so who's going to do drop off? Who's going to do pick up? Who's making dinner? How do you keep everything going is sort of the practical element of it. And then for me, you know, as a mom of young kids, I get so much less social interaction. So right. the idea of being able to social at home, that's yeah, so clever. to have that time and that's so clever, that reflection. I can understand that. You know, I came yesterday from a long day, which was absolutely a successful day. You know, we had a good board meeting and everything went really great and it was beautiful. No complaints. But there was a moment when I arrived home and I wanted to have a glass of wine just with a friend. And imagine that you can have it at home. That's amazing. Yeah. It's hard to find time for that. You know, I don't want to completely sugarcoat it, right? Yeah, so. Yeah. Humans are complicated. Living communally is complicated. Everyone needs to get their needs met. People have different communication styles, different living styles. But for me, I think the trade-off or the return on the investment of what it takes to make those things worth just makes it really worth it. That's amazing. Would you recommend this model? (laughs) I'll let you know. (laughs) We haven't fully executed on it yet. It's all a work in progress still. But very soon we will be cohabitating. and Yeah. I want to move on a little bit about, I know you you have passion to help other women to find their lane. And I'm wondering, would you recommend women to step out of line? Is that something that is important? Or do you think the recipe for 
success or being happy is more about pursue what is ahead of you, what you can see ahead of you? Because it sounds like you tapped into the unknown most of the time. I mean, what is your view about that? Yeah, I mean, I think stepping into the unknown is a bit of a muscle that you have to build, right? Mm -hmm. Or you have to develop. And not that it's been easy. I think every time I make a decision to do something completely different, you have to deal with not only the unknown of what's going to happen, but you have to deal with yourself in that context, right? right. So who will I be, right. I think is the really hard question. Mm -hmm. Motherhood kind of forces that on you in this way. So for those that are listening that have gone through that experience, I would say you've got it figured out, right? You've lived that and you can do it in other ways. I don't know that it's for everyone, but I, you know, I would always challenge people to think of what is it that you're not doing that you wish you were doing or mm -hmm. what have been those sparks or those visions of what ifs mm -hmm. that you might just be held back from pursuing or investigating, right? right and right. what would happen yeah. if you did that? Yeah. And knowing that not everything is going to be the right thing. I mean, I still, you know, I'm investing all this time in terms of getting my PhD. I don't know exactly how I'm going to use it. I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing to have, but I may do something completely different after this. And mm -hmm. I feel okay about that. I mm -hmm. think we're very programmed to feel like particularly depending on what career path you're on, you're very programmed to say, well, I'm going to get to A to B because that's going to eventually get me down the road to D. And is it because we program because that's what the patriarchal model really taught us? Is it because we're good girls? Where does it come from? I certainly think the patriarchy has something to do with it. I'm glad you raised that. I'm not really sure. I mean, I think there could be something gendered, too, around how there's a lot of pressure around doing what other people think we should be doing. Right. Right. And then if you go down the track of motherhood, there's the pressures of how do I support my family? What's mm -hmm. best for my family? Right. And sometimes I think... For full-time moms, my mind is blown by how... How they do it. How they do it. Right. And, you know, I don't think we appreciate that. I think this is just... It's a full-time job. We just don't get paid. <laughs> it's a full-time job plus. Right. I mean, I think it takes more emotional and mental strength right. than anything I've ever done in my yeah. life. The days that I have my kids for the whole day versus the days I have to do research or deal with academia. Yeah, or come here. Or come here. <laughs> I'm, I'm much more exhausted. I mean, right. I just think parenting, you constantly in the unknown. You don't know what's coming next. And you, you're wired into these humans that right. you have to be with. Yeah. And I guess the point is if you can do that, you can quit your job and go open a cafe or start a company or move to Denmark. I don't know. I just think that the amount of mental strength it takes to do that, you can pretty much do anything. It feels to me that you feel very comfortable in stepping out of line. You know, it, it feels to me that that's mm -hmm. almost your comfort zone. Where do you get the courage to do that? How do you light your flame every time when someone is looking at you and say, what? She's going to leave with her girlfriend and her husband. That sounds awkward. I don't know. I mean, for me, it's harder to stay on a straight line, I would say. It's just a little bit how I'm wired. Yeah. Um, I think I'm more stimulated and more fed by constantly trying new things and wanting to be in different contexts. I actually do find that incredibly rewarding. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't mean to sugarcoat it in any way, but... I think life would get boring. It will get boring. Do you worry that as you age, you're going to lose the edge? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> you 
don't think so, I can tell. You don't think so. Yeah, I'm not sure. You know, it's when I was younger, I think I have less of a vision of what is to be or what's Mm -hmm. next. Mm -hmm. So I really do feel like I'm in kind of that abyss of not knowing right now. And there's part of that that's uncomfortable. When I was younger, I used to just chase visions. So it was like, which vision am I chasing next? So talk to me about age. Does it get better with age? Do you feel more confident saying this is my lane and I don't care what you think? I think it does get easier, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just approaching 40, so I'm sure I can imagine how this intensifies the older that you get. But I do think that there's a way... You certainly stop caring what other people think, but I also think you start embracing that life really is short and how is it that I want to be spending my time and my energy because it feels like I have a lot less of that, right? And so where do I invest it and who do I invest it with? I find that very powerful. Quite frankly, I think it's easier to appreciate and love yourself as you get older. It may be ironic or something. (laughs) Yes. But you just have less self-loathing because you're like, well, here I am. This is who I am. This is what I got. And I think you appreciate that in other people. You appreciate that in other women to maybe get a little less judgmental, less territorial, less defensive. So it's a good time. I mean, I think people discover their careers in their 40s and 50s all the time. I think it's an exciting time to do that. I love it. To me, you are leading your own life with optimism. I find that this is one of the hardest things to teach people, Mm -hmm. how to stay optimist when you're not seeing what is in front of you. That's your superpower. Yeah. And I think something that's important and Sharon, I imagine you have some tactics around this too, being a serial entrepreneur is it's not easy, right? If you decide you're going to change your path or you're going to build something new, there's plenty of missteps and plenty of naysayers and plenty of, oh shit moments. How am I possibly going to make this work? Right. And so I think that can kind of be a learned skill, but you need definitely need your support system. You need to really trust yourself, which is one of the hardest things to do. And I think you have to be really, really open to how things can change. And I think that you nailed that. I think that one of the things that I'm learning is that you're unfolding your story all the time. And once you're going to stop doing it, (laughs) this is not going to be interesting anymore. So that's exciting. So one of the things we're doing in this podcast is, you know, I find that music really light up people. Mm-hmm. And I know you have now your favorite song mm-hmm. for now. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious to know, why did you pick up this song? And uh, maybe you can give us a little bit of insight about that. I'm the underbelly, I am the claw, never one thing, no, not one thing at all. I'm a street fighter, I'm a prayer for peace. I'm a holy roller, I'm a honeybee. So I first heard this song when I was pregnant with the twins, very pregnant. And I went to see May. Uh, She's a folk singer at Club Passim in Harvard Square, spontaneously. And I remember this song coming on and I had moments in my pregnancy where I felt like I was really connecting with the babies. People experience pregnancy in all sorts of different ways. For me, I would go in and out of the reality that there were two humans growing inside of me. And there was something about the music and the song that really helped me connect. And the both of the kids were really kicking a lot. So that was the first time that I heard the song. And I bought the record that night. And 
It became the song that I would play. So getting through the first six months with twins is really difficult in terms of the sleep because you're waking up, you're feeding, you're nursing two babies through the night. And my husband and I would split the shift. So he would do, he would come home and he would do like eight to 1am and then I would do 1am to six because at that point I would be home with him during the day. Wow. So I would be completely dead by the time he came home. I would go to bed and then I would wake up and I would do the middle of the night feedings i don't know between three and four they would wake up and i would literally need something to find like the life force in me to get up and do that last feeding and the song just became really symbolic for me because i think i don't think this just needs to be about motherhood but i think there are certain things that we do where we feel like it's swallowing our identity i think building a company is can be the same thing absolutely and you feel like you start to lose yourself right and this is one of the reasons I start this podcast. Yeah. So I can connect back to stories and do things that are just observing other stories and see how people really live their life helps me to figure out how to stay authentic and also have fun. So this is fun. Yeah. I always have to have fun. You yeah. taught me that. But I think what's great about this song, I recommend everyone listen to it, is there's always the mundane of what we do. So especially the early days of parenting or the early days of starting a business, you're kind of just putting one foot in front of the other. There's the operations of it. It can be boring. But I think remembering that we're all complex beings and we can be up all night with our kids and sort of go through the monotony of that. We have to do the accounting for our startup. And that's, you know, there's these elements that we feel like are defining us. And yet we're so much more than that. And mm-hmm. so I think remembering that to me felt really, really important in the early days of parenting that I wasn't being completely swallowed by the experience. One of the lines I love in this song is, I'm a street fighter. I'm a prayer for peace. Like we can sort of have these dualities and be all of those things at one time. That's really interesting. So being a fighter and being a peacemaker. Yeah. I mean, I think there are times when the fighter is appropriate and times when the peacemaker is appropriate, right? And that you really can be both things at once. Yeah. I don't know. I think this song just helps me embrace myself. And it's a great song for getting out of bed. That's wonderful. At 4 (laughs) a.m. What? (laughs) <laughs> I can only imagine. Well, I did that, but that was a while ago. Yeah. Uh, I guess not. Now I'm waking up at 4 a.m. because of premenopause. So well, I guess that's premenopause okay. or yeah. thinking about what's to come in your day, right? I want to go back to the fighter and the peacemaker. Mm-hmm. So I think this is this is a very powerful line. What do you see now in current situation where we live now, looking on the landscape in the country? Is that sort of some some line that I should bore to think what reality looks like? Yeah, I think so, of course. I mean, I think it's an incredibly important time for political and civil civic engagement. And I think we should all be in touch with that fighter mm-hmm. in ourselves in terms of thinking about some of these more broader political issues. Climate change has been on my mind a lot lately, mm-hmm. just in terms of thinking about how we sort of lack this ability to collectively address problems. I think just going back to that kind of individualistic mindset, power plays a really strong role in that. So I think it's really important to stand up for the issues that are important to you. And at the same time, I think more than ever, we need to have compassion for each other as humans, right? And I think we're really lacking that. I think we lack a lot of kindness. For sure. I think there's a lot of fear out there and 
kindness has an important role to play in that. Yeah. And I would say that not just on the political level, I would say also in the business industry, I would love to see leaders build incredible companies uh, with kindness. That, yeah. that would be a very refreshing model. Not that there are not any of them, but there, I think this is still a rare model. I agree. I think it's a very uh, patriarchal model in terms Absolutely. of how businesses should be run, right? And right. what leadership should look like. And so I'm deeply appreciative of entrepreneurs and leaders like you that value the role that kindness has to play. Oh, thank you. If I'm going to sit with you, I don't know, five years from now, 10 years from now, where are you going to be, Heather Jane? What is it going to look like? <laughs> I don't know. That's the whole point. That's right? the whole point. Yeah. Um, but if you had to guess, you know, you are the dreamer of your dreams. What are, mm-hmm. What is there on the horizon, even if you don't know yet how it will come to life? I mean, to be honest with you, I think, I don't know if it's been coming out of the toddler phase and sort of this intense phase of parenting, but I'm really craving more global connectivity and feeling yeah. more just connected to what's going on in other parts of the world and a real desire to kind of tap back into that social entrepreneur inside. And so maybe I'll figure out a way to be able to do that. That's kind of what's been on my mind a little bit. There is a little bit of a pattern, you know. You, yeah, you maybe I'll start repeating. From the farm yep. to the communal model, now you're going to leave your life at home. But it's, right, it's coming back around. It's coming back. I did a lot of travel and work in my 20s in Latin yeah. America, and I, I really miss quite selfishly what having the opportunity to work in other cultures and other contexts can do for you personally in mm-hmm. terms of just keeping you in touch with why that compassion is important and how privileged we are and just the deep need for social change. So what is our next adventure together? You know, we started a lab together. We I did know. the Win Lab. I, then, I spent a lot of time you, thinking you, about that. Then you quit on me. You made. You went ahead and do. You know, multiple kids. Yeah. I don't know. If, You've been a little she, busy. She, I've been a little busy too. But I mean, are you going to do more kids after her? You no, think? we're definitely done. You Although think so? I, we said that after the twins. I know. So I guess you never know. Yeah, because technically there could be more than one princess. You know that. I know. And now we have more bedrooms. There you um, go. And if you want to really build a communal model, that's you, know, right. you have to do that's it. That's right. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. We'll see. Okay, so I'm going to have to wait then. You know, I, I was trying to think about that. Pepperland is my fourth company. And if I count in the Win Lab, you know, it's actually five ventures. You have to have chemistry. Chemistry with people that would be willing to step out of line with you and they have the same vision. So... You and I have a special chemistry, so I can't wait to see what comes next. Yeah, same. I agree. And I actually think that's a really important point in terms of stepping out of line is that sometimes it's as much about the people in your life as it is about the vision or the idea or the opportunity, right? And so staying really attuned to who it is that you're drawn to. Right. And don't miss that. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Because sometimes it's just in front of you. And we tend as society to look so much ahead. Wait a minute. I need to get my PhD. I need to get that. And the right. opportunity is just in front of your nose. That's right. My fear is, did I miss the opportunity today because I'm so focused on the long run, you know, the big vision. So, yeah. And you're very good at this. You know how to stay present. Yeah. And sometimes you need both, I think, right? So you yeah. need to be looking ahead, but also fully rooted in the present. Eva Jean, thank you. Thank you for coming today. Sharon, thank you for it, having me. It was such a treat and pleasure to have 
a conversation with you. I really think that you underplay your ability to give another path for mm. people. And I think you are a role model for people that don't want to follow the clear or and by the way, I don't know if it's even clear what's the path now anymore for success, but you really take turns. And every turn seems to me like a new adventure. And I'm excited to see what's coming your way. I think it's going to be incredible. And I hope I'll be part of your journey, continuing to be part of your journey. Thank you, Sharon. Same. Here comes the sun, little darling. Here comes the sun, I say. It's all right. 